Hello and very good morning and welcome to, for the last time I should say this, the football of, of this year, of course, the Football Digest podcast. And very good um, morning and welcome to my esteemed guests and company this morning. Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror. Um, Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Star. And Matt Dunn, Football Aficionado of the Daily Express. Good to see you guys. Thanks so much indeed for for joining. Um, uh, nice to see you all. And, and uh, honestly, what a, an amazing, incredible, remarkable, extraordinary, unique year twenty twenty has been. So we'll have a little look back upon perhaps our best and worst moments, best and worst um, signings, and and everything that's gone with an unforgettable year um, in the Premier League and indeed for football. Really, um, it's been uh, it, it's been chaotic, tragic, and, and and disastrous and uplifting all at the same time. If I can put it like that, hopefully twenty twenty one will bring. Um, uh, new highlights with us, but all, all, also, uh, you know, we'll be looking at the COVID chaos and 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 the the real effect that that's had. I think particularly um, in the, in the last week or so, really, that seems to have gone on to to a different level, and and whether it should impact and and, and will impact football. Um, over the coming weeks. Uh, we'll have a look back upon Liverpool and Newcastle with a bit of insight, I think. It makes a change, really, from Newcastle fans. Let's understand what is the problem with Steve Bruce because from outsiders looking in, if that had been Rafa Benitez last night, it would have been hailing a magnificent rearguard action. So let's get to the crux of that. And I don't mean that flippantly Newcastle fans before you start having a go uh, bear with us on that um, and that was the week that was really Chelsea not looking so good Arsenal different comp- different season altogether T- totally different Mikel Arteta that I've seen on, on a, a press conference soon this morning already um, so let's get into it guys really and uh, you know, it's been a, a week of COVID chaos, uh, hasn't it, yesterday? I mean, I was due to be at White Hart Lane yesterday to cover Tottenham Fulham. And um, even though I can't get my head around it, the, the days at the best of times at the moment, it, it really is Thursday, isn't it? It was it was supposed to be sort of Wednesday afternoon kickoff. And, um, and it never happened because of Fulham's uh, uh, outbreaks. And that just a couple of days later after um, Man City, of course, had their game called off at Everton. Um what do we make of it, guys? I mean, there's been talk which has now been dismissed. I think it's talk amongst the clubs um, rather than anything else uh, by the Premier League saying that there won't be a break. They're determined to carry on. And Andy, should we be carrying on at, at this time? I mean, the news we were talking before we came on air, weren't we? I mean, there's more than 900 deaths. You know, it, it's, it's a critical point for the country. It, everyone is hoping for a brighter 2021. But... Are we in a moral dilemma? Should football carry on? Is there a place for football at this time? What do you think? Yeah, I think there is. Probably probably as much as there was when it restarted, even more so. You know, with 78% of the population now in strictest um, tier, uh, the strictest lockdown measures, then, then you know, the football, I think it's, it's, it's hugely important that it carries on. As long as, of course, the caveat is, that it's safe to do so. And I think what the Premier League has, um, in particular, and the EFL, but, but the Premier League in particular has proven since the very uh, beginning of Project Restart is that, is that it has got very good COVID-19 protocols um, that have ensured the football... You know, I mean, what's remarkable? Yes, we've had two games postponed 
within the last week, but that's only three games since Project Restart. You know, that's an enormous amount of games have gone ahead um, without um, any hitches. And there's no reason, even though we have had these two games postponed, to suggest that's going to change. You know, the Premier League are, are very robust in saying that, you know, they, they still have complete confidence in the protocols. And so carry on. You, you, you know, there's, I, I was sceptical when it first restarted. I mean, I, I, I don't mind saying that. However, I've been won over, and I think it's it's important that the game does carry on. Um, it does slightly, it, it, I mean, it, it wound me up yesterday really about uh, the response to the Everton Man City cancellation and the Spurs Fulham cancellation, you know, and Jose saying best league in the world sarcastically. You know, I mean, for goodness sake, you know, let's get a bit of perspective here. Two games, two football matches have been cancelled. You know, we're, we're, in, we're, we're, we're in a stage now where a variant of this virus is, is, is essentially out of control. And we've had two games cancelled. I mean, okay, Spurs only got three hours notice. I mean, big deal in the scheme of things. Does it really matter? You know, the fact of the matter is that the City and Fulham were both concerned enough to have those games, to express their doubts about those games going ahead. And that should just be taken as a given. I mean, taken as a given. I know, I know people say, well, you know, sort of regulations, regulations. If you've got X amount of fit players, you should be playing. Well, no, that's changed now. That's the, I, I mean, these current figures change change everything. And if you are not comfortable playing a game, then you shouldn't have to play it. It's as simple as that. Mm. My, my point about yesterday was, and I guess it fits also for for, for, for Monday, was that it just looks chaotic when, when, when you're inside that three-hour window. Yeah. Safety is paramount at, at, at this point. And I think that was as relevant yesterday as it was on Monday. If you've got a swathe of case, I'm given to believe it was six players uh, from Fulham, four members of staff. My point is that it's simple and it stood, you know, for yesterday as it did indeed for Monday. Do you have to leave it so late? And that I think that de- damages the credibility, the look and the integrity of, of the Premier League, Jeremy. Is, is that a valid point or, you, you, you know, am I missing something there? Because I yeah. think everyone can sympathise, please don't get me wrong, with, with Fulham and Man City. I think the bigger point for me, from my perspective, was I don't think it was handled that well. No, I agree. Look, both decisions were correct. <laughs> Ultimately, you know, you have to be guided by the science and football even Premier League football is no different to that. You shouldn't, you know, you sometimes look at the game and you think, crikey, it just lives in it, operates in a different world to the real world. But, you know, what COVID has done is it's it's been a leveller for that. So, you know, there were both, it was the right decision. Everton, it, Everton's reaction was interesting on Monday because they put out a statement, which was quite terse, really. And they clearly had a problem with it. They weren't happy. I think they weren't happy with City. They weren't happy with the Premier League over how it was announced. They were claiming that they were in the dark a bit. Now, I've spoken to City this week and they said well, they were in constant dialogue with Everton in the, throughout the day. So they're a bit bemused as to why Everton was so cheesed off about it all. Now, clearly someone's not telling the truth there, but it's all symptomatic of, like you said earlier, how it's just not a good look, is it, for a professional, one of the most professional leagues in the world of sport to be calling off a game three hours before it should begin, um, I think it's, it's, it's it needs looking at. And, uh, you know, on the subject of, um, of should football carry on, I, I sort of agree with Andy in a lot of ways, but if the figures keep going up like they are doing, I just think it's just football becomes more and more inappropriate when a thousand people a day are, are losing their lives. Um and clearly, 
the Premier League are paranoid about finishing the season. Um, there's not a big window at the end of the season be- between that finishing and this Euro start. It's less than three weeks. So they've not got any wriggle room. The fixture, City are now looking at a bit of a fixture pile up. The more games that do get called off, it creates a huge problem. So we all feel like, I feel like we're heading back towards where we were in the middle of the year. Um, where When football didn't handle itself very well at all, I didn't think. They got so many things wrong. Let's hope they've learned from that and they, they can they can deal with it. If if it gets as bad as it did before, then they can deal with it in a much better way. Mm, yeah, it's interesting actually. We've got a, a, a question from a viewer, James Tan, saying, "Do you think, as fluid as the situation is and develops, isn't it better then to have a total indefinite shutdown of of the league?" You know, and I'll throw that to to you, Matt. What what interests me is that basically, I don't think if we'd had nine hundred, you know, eighty one deaths. In in May or June, we would have restarted. So I think James puts on an interesting point there That's in that right. basic that feeds into that. So why are we carrying on, Matt? Matt, is there a moral dilemma there? Is there a safety issue there? Uh, I think it's more a moral dilemma than a safety issue with that small number of people congregating that you need for a Premier League match with all the protocols they have in place. Um, I think James makes a very good point though, keeping the situation fluid. It is a lot better than just suddenly having a knee-jerk reaction to say, that's it, that's the end of the league. Um, one of the part of the problems is, I believe, although they never came to an arrangement about what happens on curtailment, the two options were being, that were being discussed were 66% and 75%, having thrown half the season out of the window. So if we play less than 66% of the season, we just forget all about it and start again with next season with no relegation, no promotion. And everything we've had so far has been for nothing, which is a long way away still. Um, the other thing that we've got to get our heads around is why are we worried about this Euro 2020 block at the end of the season? Why don't we continue the season after Euro 2020? We're going to split the season after next around a World Cup. So instead of tr- once again trying to cram too much football into too small space of time, it, at some point it may be appropriate to stop playing football because of the wider situation, in which case let's not put ourselves against the brick wall and say, oh, we've got to squeeze all these games in. Let's say, well, let's take August and September to finish the season off properly, and then actually we're in good line to start working towards the Winter World Cup, and you can squeeze a whole season in before the next World Cup, and then sort the mess out after that, because we've got a very mixed uh, calendar coming for the next two years, regardless of the COVID situation. So let's common sense prevail. Stop being greedy to try and get all these games in and actually take a view of the wider picture. Where if it's appropriate to stop to send the message out that things aren't normal and if that message needs to be you know, put out to the public, then stopping football is one way of doing that. Uh, and let's not you know, try and rush things in when actually there's nothing you know, making football go at any pace apart from football itself. When would the players have a break, Dunny? Well, in the same way as they would have done with a pre-season after Euro 2020. They'd have a break after that, come back for August. Instead of an August restart, it's an August recommence. <laughs> what would Jose Mourinho say if Tottenham were top of the league headed into the Euros and then Harry Kane broke his leg in the Euros and was ruled out for the remainder of the season after the Euros? He'd probably say, well, on balance, Harry Kane was injured when we went into lockdown and suddenly I had him back for the end of the season. 
So what goes around comes around, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he definitely say that. Take on it, but that's the reality of it. Is yeah. that, you know, if you jump things around differently, yeah. different people lose. But he was a winner then because he couldn't wait for the end of the season last oh. time. Came suddenly full. Yeah, I, you know, Andy, you touched on oh. something that basically there wasn't necessarily a fixed number of players. You know, and I think the Premier League have done that deliberately, haven't they? They've kind of kept it, you know, sort of very movable feast, if you like. My only thought on that was that basically, you know, shouldn't we have one so that basically, you know, that that we know where we stand, basically. And there should be, because I think that that was Everton's frustration, wasn't it? And and it's funny enough, I should add, actually, that you, you know what, into Jeremy's thing, that basically, you know, I think Spurs felt in the dark yesterday. And maybe that that was the thing because the Premier League are only ever only talking to the clubs that want the little club that want the game called off. So I think that's part <laughs> of the frustration. Shouldn't we have greater clarity? No, I, I, I disagree with you guys on this. I mean, I mean, really, are, are we really getting upset about Tottenham Hotspur complaining that they've had a game called off? You know, it's three hours. You know, the game was called off at three fourteen, right? Three fourteen, the game was called off at at three thirty. The health secretary was putting. Putting forty odd million people into lockdown, they were they were closing businesses, forcing them to shut down. Where their livelihoods are now going to be at stake. They were then there was then a ticker tape saying there was nine hundred eighty one people had died with fifty one thousand cases of COVID. And we're supposed to feel sorry for Tottenham having to lounge around some hotel lounge waiting to see if the games or not. I mean, do me a favor. I mean, I mean honestly, I just find it I find it unbelievable. I find it you know listen. You know, if Fulham were concerned enough um, to have that game called off, if, if if Manchester City were concerned enough, you know, you can't go on about numbers. I mean, I mean, how do they know how many? So if they have five positive tests, and then there's, a, there's an incubation period, and, and other players have come into contact with them, and they don't want to take them to to, to Everton in case you know there, there might be a, an, an infection risk there. You know, I mean, really, I mean, listen, if they call a game off a minute before kickoff. I don't think it really matters in this current situation, does it? We're not talking about a normal situation. We're talking about a mutant virus that, uh, and to quote Hancock again from last Sunday, is out of control. And if a game gets called off a, a mere two and a half hours before kickoff, then I'm sorry, I just you know, I, I just do not see that as an issue. Going on to the, the, the things that Matt was mentioning, I, I do think what is going to be an issue is, 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 how, is how you're going to fit all this football in. You know, how are they going to fit this football in? It, particularly if you get more cancellations, more postponements, which you probably will, um, is how do you fit it all in? You, you know, Southgate, remember Gareth Southgate saying to, to all of us that, you know, they missed an opportunity for all the governing bodies to get together and rearrange the calendar. Instead, everyone wants their competition to go ahead. The FA won the FA Cup to go ahead. Football League won the EFL Cup to carry on and their leagues. The Premier League obviously won the Premier League to finish. UEFA won the Champions League, Europa League and the Euros to go ahead. And you look at it now and you think, well, it's just something has to give. What has to give? Goodness only knows. Yeah, well, one thing that hopefully won't have to give, Jeremy, is, is the FA Cup third round because the EFL <laughs> are testing all their all their players and all their clubs next week. Um, it, it, you know, it is... I mean, surely we need a little bit more uh, sort of testing generally, don't we? We need to sort of step up the protocols. That's good to hear that the AFL are doing that. Well, this is part of the problem, isn't it? I mean, Premier League players get tested every th- every three days. So, you know, they have the finances to implement those mm. um, methods 
the lower down the leagues you get, the less money there is. So they're, the, the players are not being tested as regularly. So I think it's more, a pro- as the season goes on, it's going to be more of a problem in the EFL than it will be in the Premier League. Um, I mean, there were seven or eight or nine games called off this week, weren't they, in the EFL, League One in particular. So, you know, that's- do, you, do you think we'll see, see the finish of the season for the EFL? But particularly League One, League Two, I'm thinking. As as I sit here now, probably not. Who knows? Look, <laughs> will have one thing this year is you can't predict a single thing, can you? But the figures are going the wrong direction. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've still got the Christmas numbers to come. Mm-hmm. Who knows how mm-hmm. bad they're going to be? So, you know, January, February are going to be long, grim months for everyone. Um, and you can't see... You can see it getting worse before it gets better. So the EFL will be vulnerable. Back to your original question, I was looking on Twitter this morning and I noticed Marine have tweeted out about their game, obviously, is now behind closed doors. They're playing Tottenham. It's probably well, it's just one of the games of the century in terms of an FA Cup game, isn't it? Just imagine if Marine could beat Tottenham. Such a wonderful occasion for that club and they're not going to have any fans there. It's such a shame. Um, so I, f- I really feel sorry for those guys. But the issue there, obviously, is, you know... Will Marine, will Tottenham pay for Marine? Who 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 is subsidising Marine's testing for the players before they play Tottenham? How many mm. times will they be tested before they play Tottenham? Yeah. Will Tottenham pay offer to pay for Marine's uh, bill? I mean, I know Tottenham offered the same to Leighton Orient, didn't they, in the EFL Cup? Um, was that this season or last season? This season, this season. <laughs> as, 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 as far as I understand, Jeremy, as far as I understand, the FA are paying for all, all the tests. All, oh, okay. all, all, all the tests um, will be taken, but but they'll only be tested once. I mean, mm. it, that, that's the thing about this FA Cup third round it, 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 is that you know the best weekend of the one of the best weekends of the year. But you know, I guess if you are a Premier League club, you will want assurances. If you've been existing in a in a very strict biosecure bubble and being tested yeah. every seventy two hours. And then suddenly you're going to, you know, a club that maybe doesn't have such stringent tests. Then, you know, I, I think you've probably got every every right to, 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 to demand that testing and to be a little concerned. That's just fact, you know. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, you go into areas of the country that might have wildly different things. You know, I think Brighton go to um, Newport, you know, mm. which where the cases are sky high. You know, so. So I, I understand. I would understand their concerns. Yes. So, so which is hence why all the clubs involved in, in the well, third round it, will be tested it, next week. It's the FA's competition, so it's the FA's responsibility yeah. to make sure every game can take place in a safe environment, yes. or at least do, do as much as they can to make sure everything's been put in place. That's right. Yeah. And, and if you think of somewhere like um, um, Marine, for example. You know they won't be playing any. As far as I understand, you know they the league football will will be um, on hold as well. But obviously the FA, I spoke to the FA last week about it, and they said, "Listen, it's it, it's an elite competition, therefore it can go ahead." You know, and, and and let's hope it goes ahead. You know, let let's hope these clubs um, get sufficient positive uh, negative tests that they can they can play these games because you know there are some. It, it's one of the best third round draws I've seen for ages. Yeah. You know, I mean, it really is. It's an absolute belter of a third round draw. So let's hope it goes ahead. I, I absolutely, I love the mm. FA Cup, yeah. and do you? Uh, and honestly, I do. Yeah, I really do. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I think it's sensational. I mean, it's yes. non-stop that but, weekend, isn't it? Yeah. But, absolutely, but, from it, Friday to Monday, and it's astonishing the, the the amount of fixtures, the amount of crazy ties. 
you know, yeah. the giant killing potential was brilliant. I mean, before this season started, I was thinking, would would would, a, would one solution be to, to drop a yes. competition? Yeah. Obviously, the League Cup would be the first on everyone's list because mm-hmm. it's regarded as the lesser tournament. Then you think, what about the FA Cup? But now you see the draw for the third round, you think this could be like one of the best. I think, the, I think it's got the potential to be the best ever. The, 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 yeah. the sudden death element, of course, yeah. as well. Yes. Know. You know, make, makes it makes it thing. I, you, you know, I mean, blimey. I mean, here we are, t- guys, talking about kind of, you know, should football finish? And yet the football fans, you know, because, because of the moral dilemma and the safety dilemma, but the football fan within us all, and we are football fans, of course, immediately leaps out of your body and your, and your soul, doesn't it? And say, of course we should play on because we're getting excited about the FA oh. Cup third round. You know, uh, but Matt, uh, you know, finally on, on, on this issue, d- you know, do, do you think that basically we'll we'll finish the the Premier League season, shall I say? Because I share Jeremy's view that I think the League One, League Two is is going to be very vulnerable, really. But you you know, should we be worried? Do you think we'll go, go, complete the season? As it stands, the only thing stopping it is a political will to say, look, it's not proper for football to carry on. I mean, in terms of the practicalities, with the bubbling, with the testing, everything, there's no reason why it should stop. It's not a threat to the wider population. People might not like it going on when other people, like you say, are struggling with more difficult circumstances. But uh, but generally, yeah, I, I think the Premier League will survive. Below that, I think, is anybody's guess. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, guys, we're going to move on to um, in reaction to last night's game. And unfortunately, obviously, there was only one. But um, Liverpool against Newcastle. And we're going to kick off with Liverpool first because I do think it kind of opens up. We're in this crazy situation where if Man United beat Aston Villa tomorrow, they, they go joint top level on points, basically. How did, how did that happen? But more interestingly, first perhaps let's look at let's look at Liverpool really, and you know it was a pretty flat game. Let's let's be honest here, and and Liverpool couldn't for once find that extra gear. So yeah, Liverpool, uh, Andy, you know this. Huh? I don't think I don't think I've looked at the bookies' odds this morning. I don't think anyone is odds on anymore. No, they're not quite, quite a thing, really. But is that a fair reflection? Do you, you know? Is that is that a reflection of the fact that perhaps Liverpool, you know, looking vulnerable for the first time in a while? Absolutely. I, I looked at the odds this morning as well, John. Um, and I, I, I'm not a massive punter, but I did think actually, well, we'll come on to the later, I'm sure. But but, but Manchester United at seven to one looked. Um, Looked at a value bet. Um, I personally think that, that Liverpool should be um, quite warm favourites. I've always said that. I think they're the best team in the league by a little distance. Um, I thought, listen, they, they didn't play as well as they can do last night, but they still fashioned, you know, four you know, great chances. Um, and if it wasn't for Carl Darlow, and if it wasn't for a little bit of wayward finishing from Salah and Firmino, they, they would have won the game. Um, I, I think they were... I think I would have been more concerned with their performance against West Brom than I was last night away at Newcastle. You know, I, th- I thought they were okay last night. So that's, I still think that they have um, the best squad, the best manager, uh, the best front three. And I still think, you know, that they will be, um, they should be favourites. Um, what I would say is that, is, is that they were a bit flat against West Brom. And I just think this, this is a more generic point. You know, sometimes I think, I think it's going to be hard for teams to actually over the whole course of a season, we're talking a full season of 38 games start to finish. 
you know, it was quite unusual when they came back for Project Restart and, and, and the motivation to finish the, the championship, to finish the Premier League and to win that title was high. I do think it, 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 it will be quite hard, not just for Liverpool, but for a whole load of teams, you know, to play 38 games behind closed doors as inevitably it seems they're going to have to. And I've just noticed a, and look at this, I'm not just about Liverpool's game, but look at how flat really this, apart from maybe, you know, Leeds's um, antics at West Brom, it was a really flat round of fixtures, wasn't it? I mean, it yeah, really it was. was. You, you know, it, it was literally sort of, you know, there weren't many highlights at all. And I just think the motivation will be, not just for Liverpool, but for all of them quite hard. And I just think for Liverpool to go again, that will be the hardest thing for Klopp to um, to, to get them going again. But I, 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 I certainly think they still should be favourites and I, I think they'll win the league. Yeah. Jeremy, do, do you see them strengthening in January and do they need to strengthen in January to, to kind of kick on? Well, I see they've lost Matip again, haven't they, for three weeks. So that's the last thing they need. Look, I think midfield and going forward, they're fine. They're not scoring as many goals as Klopp would like at the minute, but that's just a blip for those three front players. They're so good that that will not last. I mean, that's just a fact. So, yeah, he will be tempted to sign a centre-back, I would imagine, because it looks like Van Dijk's not, not going to be seen again this season. So I would be amazed if he doesn't strengthen defensively. I mean, he's got the funds to do so. It's always hard buying the players you really want in January because obviously clubs are reluctant to let certain players go. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I can't see it being a mad January transfer window for anyone, really, yeah. given the COVID situation, clubs' finances... So, but yeah, I, I would be amazed if he doesn't sign a, a defender of some description. Mm, yeah, I love the fact that Thiago, I know he didn't actually, he gave a bit of a wayward pass for once, but you know, Thiago, when he came on yesterday, I don't know whether you saw that. The first time, the first time ever he played a careless square pass, which, which went to an opponent. I don't think I've ever seen it in his career before, but he, he, you know, maybe he can give him an extra dimension. I love that player um, so much, really. Matt, Matt, do you see, do, do you see Liverpool? being crowned champions at, at, at the end of it. Are they still the outstanding team for you or, or do you think it'll go cl- closer to the wire at least? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're having a really bad spell and they're top of the table. I mean, that's <laughs> how, you know, how much better they are. Um, they'll strengthen over the end of the season from the physio room as much as from the market. Um, possibly they need a centre-back. I don't think uh, Jurgen Klopp will be worried too much if he hasn't because he knows what's coming back. Um, uh, and he's got goals at the other end to to sort of counteract that. The problem is anyone who's tried to put in a challenge to them has faltered. Spurs tried to do it, then fell off the edge. Uh, uh, you know, Manchester United on a good run. You wonder when that's going to stop. Chelsea started looking interesting, uh, and then they've they've stuttered. Um, Manchester City still have the strength in depth in the squad to maintain a, a serious wrong challenge, but just don't seem to be able to kick into gear properly enough yet. Mm. So at the end of it all, I think I won't be as emphatic as it was last year, but I still think it'll be Liverpool. Now mention of Everton Ooh. there, didn't he? Oh, sorry, in the mighty Everton, who, <laughs> who up until October looked like they might do it. And yeah, I mean, I think they're doing the mix. They're a project that, that let's get them in the top four first and see where they can go on from there. I, I, I do think it's it's from because of what Liverpool did last year and what teams. I've done maybe in recent seasons what City did, um, what Chelsea in their prime did, you know, having such long, good winning runs and setting new points totals. I think I think we've become a little bit 
skewed in, in how we look at it. You know, we, we think, oh, this is a mad season. It's, it's, it's well, actually, you know, it's it's pretty much the norm. You, you, you know, the, the, the points totals, that is pretty much what you, what, what, you, what you would expect from a team topping the table. I mean, on average, you know, I, I think I think we've been we've been spoiled almost by teams absolutely wrong. You know, listen, so it, 100 points is now not going to, you know, no one can get to 100 points, you know, and, and the chances are is they high 80s, mid 80s, high 80s will win the title. And that was the norm, you know. So I don't think, you know, Liverpool are allowed to lose games like they lost this year, quite spectacular, this season, quite spectacular at Villa. But they're allowed to lose or draw games. You know, that is that is just the way titles have been won in the past. Um, so I don't think we should really read too much into, oh, this is slightly odd. Well, it's it's actually just, it's, it's what normally happens in football. Yeah, yeah. Right, guys, I'm going mm. to move on to a bit of a random subject, obviously. Also on the back of uh, last night, of course, Newcastle. Now, now, look, I'll, I'll, I'll set the scene here, right? And basically, I remember a couple of years ago when, when around Christmas time, uh, Newcastle, uh, uh, under Rafa Benitez, battened down the hatches at St James's and and, and said to Manchester City, the all, all all conquering Liverpool of, the, of their time in that particular season when they were sweeping all before them, said we're n- we're going to lose, but we're basically not going to lose by that many. And basically, Rafa Rafa did indeed batten down the hatches. I think they lost, ended up losing one nil, and and still through it all. The 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 Toon Army never lost their appetite and their passion and their 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 fervor for Rafa Benitez, who's still regarded, isn't he, at St James's Park as a bit of a god. So I guess I'm 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 left wondering, as an outsider looking in, and you, you know, it does feel like that. And you know, I'm often you know sort of called out on social media for asking the question, and it is a question rather than a statement of fact. What's the difference? Here and as soon as you start saying that, then then basically, what's the difference between Steve Bruce and Rafa Benitez? You get, you know, you get lampooned when actually you're asking a question. So look, I've asked a couple of Newcastle fans, um, and uh, 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 and one, uh, I'm going to read out what they said. Basically, Rafa had a style of play and a plan. Even if we sat deep, everyone was well drilled and knew their role. Under Bruce, there's none of the above. And unless we manage to cobble together a goal on the break, we look clueless. Um, and and he, he, a much a much longer, much longer diatribe from a, from a Newcastle season ticket holder. Obviously, can't go at the moment. But uh, but she she said that basically um, Bruce always seems to blame the fans for wanting more. We are histrionic, he says. A manager who criticises the fans is not going to go down well. He did it at Villa and Sunderland too. Rafa criticised the lack of investment and ownership, never the fans. I'm not saying Bruce is the worst manager we have had, but we had hope for improvement under Rafa. Um, now, guys, I just you know I, I watched Steve Bruce on, on, on Amazon Prime yesterday, the post match, and he went into that interview, sort of you know f- from the three. Uh, uh, presenter stroke pundits last night on the defensive straight away because I think he knew what was coming basically and he almost opened up with an answer which wasn't about a question which wasn't about the defeat and exit at Brentford but you know do do we understand you know is Steve Bruce Andy right to be under pressure do do you get it do you get what where the Newcastle fans are coming from 
Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I do. And um, I, I mean, I mean, last week, um, our colleague from the northeast, Simon Baird, who, who watches them week in, week out, was was talking about this and echoing actually some of the things that you just read out from um, Newcastle Newcastle fans. Is that if you know, for example, now we're not saying everyone can play football like Leeds United can play football, but if a Newcastle fan, you know, they want to see their team with the football for a start off. Mm. Actually, you know, which which I think any fan should should want. They they want to see them with the football. They don't want to see them going to Brentford and, and capitulating like they did, which you know is is considering their, their their lack of trophies, their lack of really getting very far in any competition. You know, was was a, ter- a terrible result. So I understand why he's under pressure, and 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 you know, I've seen Newcastle. Several times under Steve Bruce, and they're not. They're not a particularly. When I've seen, they're not a particularly pleasant watch. Your point, though, is were they any better under Benitez? Now, again, I probably didn't see enough of them to to say that. But the fans who say week in week out, who go and see them week in week out, and our colleagues up in the northeast who see them week in week out, say they were. So you know, I, I take their I take their word for that, and I fully understand why why Steve Bruce might be under pressure. I do think that. They probably never agreed with his appointment in the first place for a whole variety of reasons, and and as you know, you know if the fan base doesn't like an appointment to start with, it's very very difficult <laughs> to turn them round. Once one thing goes wrong, that it's it's held against them. Mm. But I do understand it, you know, and, and I, I do think that the I do think that it is a danger. It is a, it is a, it is a strange situation in Newcastle where the rest of the media. You know, look in and say, "Oh, well, you're doing okay, Steve Bruce. Doing okay. You're going to stay up, and like, you know, you get the odd win here and there, and uh, and 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 you feel as though you're made to feel as though you're patronising Newcastle fans and, mm. and Newcastle, uh, and they're saying, "Yeah, you try coming up here and watching this week in week out. It's not very good." Ironically, last night, even though again, I would have thought they probably only had, I don't know, twenty odd, twenty five, I don't know, whatever. It's certainly in the twenties, possession wise, percentage. It just it, it, from the highlights, right? So I didn't see it live, but it felt like they, you know, they they had a purpose and had a plan. And I think the reaction, from what I can gather, has been positive to that particular performance last night. But they need more of it. But in answer to your question, yes, I can understand what, what, why why he's under pressure because they, they don't like the football they're seeing. Simple as that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Jeremy, do you, do, do do you understand where they where they're coming from? Yes and no. Look, Bruce was his face didn't fit from the start, mm. did it? You know, mm. so he, he, he knows, look, he's the guy's, I think he turned 60 today. He's been in the game so long. He knew what he was walking into. He probably would have hoped to be given a chance. You know, that's all you ask for as a manager, isn't it? I mm. think that's unfair. You know, he's done some good jobs at good clubs as Bruce down the years. So I think he's, he's a good, 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 good manager. Mm. Uh, so I feel, feel a bit of sympathy for him. Harry's team's good to watch. I've, like Andy, I've not seen a lot of Newcastle this season. So, it would be unfair to comment, really, but from what I've seen of them, briefly, no. But he he can only he can only play with the hand he's dealt, can he, Steve Bruce? You know, mm. and his hands are tied a lot a lot of the times in the transfer market because Newcastle's problem is not the manager; it's the ownership, as we all know. For years and years, Mike Ashley has been a a very controversial owner of Newcastle, very limited in, in his ambition. Newcastle are where they deserve to be under Ashley's ownership. That is, you know, above the relegation zone, nowhere near Europe, somewhere, you know, in limbo in the middle of the Premier League table. So, you know, mm. and this thing with Benitez, I mean, look, come on. 
what did he achieve at Newcastle? I mean, I know he's obviously a sexy name and managed some of the biggest clubs in the world, won, won quite a few trophies, but, you know, what, Newcastle are no worse off under Bruce than they were under Benitez. So, you know, what's the point in looking back at Benitez all the time as a fan and saying, oh, well, Steve Bruce is not Rafa Benitez. He's not. But Benitez is gone and you've now oh. got Steve Bruce. So, you could make the most of it. That's what I would say to a Newcastle supporter. Yeah, that I must say that's the one thing I can't quite get my head around that that, that Bruce Benitez thing, even though it's spelled out. And I must say, I must say, <laughs> the text the text came back and it's fulsome basically last night during the first half, which tells you about the quality value that she had time to tap out a text during the first half. But basically, the first half was that dull. Um, but you know, I still can't quite get my head around that. Although I have to say. I think if a club is defined by its supporters, there's no club that stands like that, that, that in the Premier League, like I, th- I think the Newcastle. I mean, Newcastle, yeah. you know, the fans is every, yeah. you know, the fans it's are religion, everything to that football club. Yeah. And I just think if they're not having Steve Bruce and they're not, mm. then I'd, it's only going to go one way. And it's impossible to see this as a long-term solution. And it's always felt a bit short-term. And, you know, I like Steve Bruce. I think, you know, mm. it, 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 but, I think it's, it's just not a good fit. And I just think that sort of if the fans are not having it, then... Well, he grew up supporting Sunderland. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Matt, I mean, you know, where, where, do you, where do you stand on the Newcastle debate? I think it's all perception and what Newcastle fans want to believe about their club, even against some of the evidence. They want their manager to be a European Cup winner. They don't want him to be someone who's photoshopped into wedding photos. They want somebody who... <laughs> Yeah, and, and uh, Steve Bruce, I've known since he was Sheffield United manager, right? First steps in management. And he's become better and better and better as a manager. And, and coming back to what Andy said, they want to see their team with the ball. They want to see their team passing. Do they want to see their team in the Premier League or do they want to see them in the Championship? If they want to see all that Andy said in the Championship and then playing flowing football, they can have that. But the price for staying in the Premier League is you have to shunt aside some of your beliefs and whatever. Look at what happened to Stoke when they decided they told Tony Pulis, the players, that they were being underestimated as players and should be allowed to play more. They plummeted through the leagues. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately, if you're not investing in the sort of players who can stay on the ball in the Premier League, you're not going to stay in the Premier League yourself. And that's what Steve Bruce is managing. He's doing the best to get keep the club in the division with the tools that are his, he's given, which aren't very good tools to be honest, because Mike Ashley won't spend money on the proper proper players that, that can sit on the ball and spray passes around. Uh, and uh, and I think that's a lot to do with it. And, and you can take a punt and try and play more expansive football, but then you are in danger of dropping down. And if that's what Newcastle fans want, to be the big fish in the championship and wipe teams away, then they've got the, the wherewithal to do that under Mike Ooh. Ashley. Otherwise, they need new owners, an injection of money, and uh, hope that their, their dreams of everything that they want to be and then come true because they, yeah. I mean, when fans are allowed, it's a big club. It pulls in fans from everywhere. It's a religion up there with all the cliches, but you know, until they've got something to, to believe in that there's actually the real deal, then, you know, people like Steve Bruce are doing a master, masterful job, just keeping them in the Premier League. Newcastle anytime soon, Matt. I was going to say, just quickly, just, just quickly as well, Matt. Um, Interesting. I, I would think Newcastle fans probably probably might say that two of their most enjoyable, thrilling seasons in recent times were probably 
seasons when they were promoted from the championship, I would suggest, under Kevin Keegan, under Benitez. You know, this is, so, so play, I, I don't get this idea that, the, the you know, Leeds aren't sacrificing any principles, and I'll bet you they stay in the Premier League. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I must say Leeds is the antidote at the moment. That's a problem Newcastle fans, the problem Newcastle yeah. have, is that there are more teams now playing a bit of football, you, you know, and, and we saw even... Last season, you know, Norwich played a bit and went down with, with, with an incredibly low amount of points. But look at them now. It's not too bad in the Championship. They'll be back up. I think this whole being paralysed by fear of, of going down is something that, that like, and, and I think in this day and age, it, 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 it's it's something that they need to get over and, and you know, and play a bit of football. As I say, you turn up... Well, obviously you don't now at the moment, but but you, you watch your team on TV or you turn up when you can, and you know sometimes you just want to see your team out of football. You know that that is after all the point of the game. Yeah, no, I do agree with that, mm. guys. I'm just I'm, a couple of um, uh, that was the week that was really a couple of mm. co- contrasting fortunes certainly for for, for Chelsea. I, I was at <laughs> on on on, uh, on when was it on Monday? I've been trying to get my days. Um, and then, and then also at Brighton the following day for for Arsenal. Blimey, what a contrast in fortunes right now, guys. For um, you know Frank Lampard and Mikel Arteta, really. I guess that's a lesson in how quickly things can turn around. You know, should 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 Lampard be be worried, Jeremy? You know, sort of kind of coming to you uh, about sort of Chelsea. Yeah, I would be slightly worried. I mean, look, it's so hard to judge managers at the minute because the table can change so rapidly. And I mean. Chelsea are sixth now. Mm. The lot have had a mini slump. You know, I think they'd lost three of the last four before they drew with Villa. Um, but ultimately, Frank has spent 200 million quid in the summer on top, top class players. So, you know, and the, some of those top class players just aren't performing from it at the minute, like Havertz and Werner. Mm. Uh, which, that for me, that would be my biggest concern. You know, they've struggled to settle, um, whether it's, the English game in general or the system that Frank wants to use with them. Uh, who knows? And the face city on um, Sunday, it uh, looks like that game's going to go ahead now. So, you know, that's going to be a tough test. And, um, you know, if they lose that one, then um, there's going to be some questions start to be asked of, um, of Frank. But you, I've said this before on this, on this show, you forget how young he is Lampard. Yeah. You forget what a big job that is for someone of his age and lack of experience. So, you know, I, I really hope he succeeds, and I think Abramovich will. You know, he's not going to be panicking just yet. But but they are they are their season promised so much not too long ago, and now you feel like it's just in danger of slipping yeah. away from them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were they, they and he were overhyped. I mean, with, with, without a doubt. I mean, I, I, I'm by me that, probably. But yes, by, 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 <laughs> you're not alone there, man. I mean, I, I, they. they, they Listen, he is. You forget. You forget. And you mentioned Arteta, John. You know, and and these are essentially inexperienced managers, aren't they? You know, and and, and they're learning on the job. Frank's learning on the job. I mean, one thing that that I've noticed at Chelsea is is that. I mean, listen, we all, you know, on a on a personal level, we know what a great great guy you know Frank Lampard is. You, you know, just a brilliant guy. And and I'm finding it quite. I don't know quite uncomfortable to see how, how much stress he looks under you know yeah. I mean it's a stressful job isn't it you know what I mean and and I see him you know when he the frustration after that Arsenal defeat which he then obviously tried to rectify by praising them um, um, after the draw um, he, he, 
I don't know. It, it, it just it looks as though the pressure is so intense on him, and I'm sure it is. And you know, I just, I just would wish sometimes. I know it's hard for them for the managers just to be a little bit more, you know, relaxed. But he obviously just doesn't feel that way, does he? You know, and, and you watch him. You're at games, and you watch him on the touchline, like most managers. And I just think it's a really, really tough job for him right now. I think he's, I think he's finding the pressure quite high. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Mm. You're right. I hadn't actually thought about it like that, but you, you're right. He looks post match. Yes. Yeah, no, mm. it's, it's, a, it's a very valid point that I haven't thought mm. of really. And it's. Um, yeah, I just, it, I just, it, I just, I just think if it's possible for a manager, mm. you know, if, if it's at all possible, you know, to be, um, I don't know, just to try and be, to have a little bit of uh, equilibrium about you, to, to not yep. be as, as, as delighted in, um, in victory. And not be quite as exasperated by defeat would be a good thing. And we know, hey, listen, he's not alone. He's not alone. The pressure sure. is intense on every single one of them. We just mentioned Steve Bruce, you know, and, and all of them. We saw Klopp behaves when, when things don't go well and things when, when things do go well. But I just think that, I just think that Frank looks as though he feels under pressure. Yeah. It, it, it equally, man, from the highs and lows of, of management, Magical Mikel was back to being Magical <laughs> Mikel. Yeah, very two, two wins. Well, I'll get thanks to COVID tests and uh, affecting his team selection policy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you mean, by the way. Gosh, two two two, two players cut, two players come out, and the whole thing changes. Remarkable. He, he talks, he's been talking all week about fighters and victims, and and uh, you know, and they couldn't have looked more like victims than than they did. Um, uh, in some of those games, but but suddenly they find a bit of energy, which is what they needed. Some zip. Yeah, Martinelli's back. Uh, Smith Rowe, I really like as a player. Um, he he's there. Then you've got people coming off the bench like Willock, and and uh, and they look like players that that can put some verve into the side. And that's what's been missing. It's been too pedestrian. It's been too easy for some of the senior stars. And when when you haven't got Aubameyang papering over those cracks by smacking goals from all corners. You know, it, it's just been too almost methodical, mechanical, like they're trying to play to a system, but not really knowing what the system's there to achieve. Uh, and uh, and suddenly you bring some life into it. You've got Saka, who's coming on immensely. Um, he's pushed him further forward in recent games. Um, so he's able to inflict his danger from, from where it's you know more potent. That's helped as well. Uh, and suddenly... They look like a, a team that's going somewhere. And that's the point, is they're going somewhere. They're young players. They've got a future ahead of them, one that he can build, bring with him. And it's funny enough, the same happened at Spurs. When Pochettino first arrived, people forget he nearly got the sack first mm. year first season. It didn't start well for him. It was only when he got rid of the driftwood that, the, that he'd been lumbered with from previous managers and brought through players like Dyer, Winks, Kane, uh, and gave them their head more. I know they'd all played beforehand. Well, Winks hadn't, but uh, but but he gave them the responsibility to say, "No, you're my first team now. You you go and see where we can you can take the team." That 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 they had a mission, and they seemed to have a direction of travel. And I think Arteta needs to find the same with those younger players. And then with the quality that you can add on top of that, that's going to help bring them through. And that is a unit that can go somewhere. Whereas there's the sort of older players, those low knees and free signings that are just playing out their time, they're, they're going nowhere. 
Mm. No, sure, mm. interesting. Um, mm. Andy, just looking at the two Manchester clubs, really. Mm. I mean, City have got, you know, arguably at the game of the weekend at Chelsea on Sunday. I mean, blimey, you know, um, City, all of a sudden, if they win their games in hand, and... they're right up there, aren't they? Yeah. And I think a few weeks ago, we would have said, oh, the sort of, you know, I don't know, sort of almost yeah. drifting towards mediocrity this season, but they're not, are they? They're not, but who, who would have thought we'd have said that the, the city's um, weakness is an inability, quite a chronic inability to score goals and mm. their strength is a fantastic defence who can't stop keeping clean sheets. You just, you, 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 you would not have made that up. Um, but on the positive side of that, you would have to say that they do look more solid at the back. You know, John Stones is in, it's back to the form that makes him England's best centre back, um, and you know if they can now if they can add the, if they can recapture that goal scoring form, mm-hmm. then obviously they are a, a, an incredibly serious proposition. But you, you know you do wonder where that goal scoring form is going to be is is, go, is going to come from. You know you don't can you really see Aguero getting back into the groove? He, he looks quite some some way short of, of match fitness. Um, Jesus has obviously had, had his, his issues before um, the COVID. So I just think still they're, they're still going to be scraping comparatively compared to their prolific nature of previous seasons. They're going to be struggling in front of goal. But this, they, yes, they'll be there. You know, they're, they're not, And again, one of the things that, that might hamper them is the fact that they're going to have a very congested fixture list with the Champions League and the two fixtures behind in the Premier League, they're obviously in the EFL Cup next week, um, and the FA Cup. So that might hamper them, but they've got a big squad. They'll be there. But I mean, if you talk of Manchester clubs, I do think, you know, I, I saw United, I, I was at um, uh, the King Power on Boxing Day when they twice let a lead slip. But, you know, I came away from that game, I, um, probably more than I've come away from some of their victories, thinking, you know, they are. They, they are going to be right there. I mean, I would be very surprised if they're not taking that title race right into the in, into the last weeks with, with, with United involved. You know, I really do. I just, yeah. You know, can I, they win it, Andy? Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. They, wow. they can win it. Listen, I saw I saw them at Everton in the um, in the cup mm. um, and in the EFL Cup, and I, I picked up the team sheet. I looked at the team sheet and I thought, "Blimey, he's taking this seriously. This is a very strong Manchester United side." I then checked, and he made nine changes from the team that had beaten Leeds six-two. Only Maguire and um, Fernandez have kept their place. Mm. He brought in Cavani. He brought in Pogba. He brought in Donny Van Der Beek. You, you know, I mean, he brought in Dean Henderson. Mate, they have got a, a, a serious squad. A serious squad of players. I think Cavani uh, will be invaluable for them. Um, I just. Yes, I, I, I really do. I, I, I fancy them strongly. You know, I tipped them for second place behind Liverpool this season, at the start of the season, and there's nothing um, that has made me change my mind. Jeremy, yes. come on. This is crazy. <laughs> Man United. It's one, Man United. One, 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 one day see. we're talking about Ole in crisis, <laughs> and the next yeah. day we are. And, you know, rightly so, talking them as serious title challenges. <laughs> It's a crazy, crazy season. Well, no one encapsulates that more than Man United. No, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Sorry. I mean, the, the, they haven't been on a good run. I think they're unbeaten Ooh. in nine league games. They've obviously got to the semi-final of the um, EFL Cup. So I think what Solskjaer's found is he's found a backbone of a team. So De Gea's playing well again. He's had a run of games. He was brilliant the other night. Um, you've got Maguire, who's back to his best following all his problems in the summer. 
that we all know about that are well documented. You've got Fernandez running the show in midfield, and you've got Rashford on sparkling form up front. So there's a good backbone there, and he's got enough strength around those players to complement them. So, yeah, I agree with Andy. I mean, look, at the start of the season, I wouldn't give him a prayer. But if they beat Villa tomorrow night, they're joint top of the league with Liverpool. You know, it's like going back in time, Liverpool and Manchester United at the top of the table. Yeah. I still fancy Liverpool to win the title, but I think United are capable of pushing them all the way. The high in confidence. And I think they've looked around the league this season and thought, you know what? Yeah. No, there's no one running away with it. I mean, Liverpool run away with it last season, City the previous two. Well, miles behind, miles off the pace. But now there's no, there's not one team that's going to dominate this season. That's given hope that you know what we've got half a chance here, mm-hmm. and it's great to see. I mean, look, you look at the top of the table, and it's just a fantastic read, isn't it? You look, there's Liverpool. If City win the game in hand, they'll be right in it. Man, you are there. Leicester, obviously, a great team to watch. Everton are hanging around with Ancelotti. So, oh, yeah. so, I mean, going back to the start of the show, we we're saying. Will the season be finished? I really hope it does get finished one way or another because of this. Could yeah. be, this could be one of the most competitive championships for years and years. Brilliant, isn't it? It's absolutely mm. brilliant. Now, listen, if we're going to talk about Leeds, there is only one person to come to first on this. <laughs> and this is Matt Dunn. I don't know whether regular <laughs> viewers will, will know this, but Matt, Matt, Matt Dunn used to cover Leeds, you know. Yes. Yeah, I don't think he's ever babies. <laughs> but no, listen, Le- Le- Leeds. What a magnificent victory that that was at West Brom. But let's be honest here, all the headlines ever since have been about Karen Carney, um, you know, for for her input on on as as a pundit on 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 Amazon. And I must say, I really like Karen Carney mm. as as a pundit. I think she's incredibly uh, well informed. She's got something to say, and she's got a bit of an edge. And in that bit of an edge, she obviously was quite quite dismissive yeah. of the way that Leeds uh, got up. Um, uh, and were promoted and gave partly thanks to it, obviously, because of the COVID break, which then prompted Leeds on, on Twitter, their official account, to come right back at her and basically <laughs> rather ridicule those ridicule those comments, really. I mean, I must say, I, I thought, I think, as I say, I think Karen Carney is, is such a good pundit and really entertaining, but haven't Leeds got a right to, to reply? And obviously, she's since then, she's had, Absolutely ridiculous amount of abuse, but uh, you know, I don't know where do, where do you stand, Matt? Should we automatically assume that that invites that abuse and, and are therefore leads out of order, um, or, or, or was it there? Was it there right, right to reply? Where, where do you stand on that? I think it's a difficult one. I think the first thing we've got to try and do, um, which not enough people did do, is try and work out what Karen Carney was saying, um, and effectively. Um, I mean, Leeds have limped into port in the two previous seasons, one under Bielsa, one before that. Mm. And if they picked up the 10 points that they got um, in the previous two seasons from their last nine games, they'd have finished just behind Brentford. So that's the background to it all. If you do that simple sum, whether Brentford would have recovered from the, they hit the wall going into COVID, so they might not have bounced back either. There's all those ifs and buts. But it is a valid point, and it's it's a point that she made. And the first thing that went wrong was that people just dismissed what she said as some, you know, some very, uh, it was uh, disrespectful to the lead statements, uh, Adrizani's statement said, um, and um, unjustified. Well, actually, no, it's neither of those things. It was a considered point. You may agree with it, you may not. And, mm-hmm. and that's where the debate should start. Um, I don't think it helps the fact that um, 
you know, being overprotective of her views because she's a female pundit is also something that we should be careful not to do. She stands level with anyone else who's speaking. And like, as John said, I, I think some of the points she makes are very well researched, very pertinent, uh, and, and up there for judgment with all punditry. So mm -hmm. I think there's a danger of being overly, you can't do that. And it becomes then, oh, you know, the, the vitriol pours on. But a lot of it was anti-feminist uh, vitriol that was being poured, almost like she couldn't have a point because she was a woman. And, and that's just ludicrous. Let's judge her, her views on, on what they are. Uh, and and I think I think a club's right to respond to that. I've been, I, I was back, I'll do a Bradford story now instead of a Leeds one. I've been in a club programme described as a small-minded, egotistical little man uh, back in... <laughs> <laughs> Wrong on a lot of levels there. Well, well I was going to say, Jeffrey Richmond's about the only one who called me little. Um, but, um, you didn't steal him, though, did you, Donny? <laughs> <laughs> I had the temerity to, to describe uh, Benito Carboni as a poor signing. Um, but... Uh, but yeah. the thing is, all these it's years right. later, at least you, at least you, you know, you haven't, you know, sort of clung <laughs> on to those words and can remember no, every only, word. Only, uh, it was only two decades ago, but um, <laughs> but no, we've all over our careers had criticism mm. from the club directly or indirectly, um, uh, and I think the club. That's the point, isn't it? That I don't, I don't think there's too much wrong with that, and that was my no. point. I don't think that that's necessarily an open invitation for the abuse that she got. I don't no. know that we should be criticising Leeds for that. I think we should be criticising kind of the, the idiots. Yes. Um, the problem is, Cross, the problem is, when you, from an official club account, put a tweet out like that, which is clearly divisive, we all know how what Twitter's like. It, it's, mm. it's an open platform for people to abuse other people. Red Rizani, the owner of Leeds, must must realise that. So you know, I just think it's a bad look. I just don't. Why Leeds? So 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 a pundit has something critical to say about Leeds. So what? People people hammer Man United every week. They don't, they don't respond like that. They just, they just they just turn a blind eye to it. I just don't. I just Leeds won five nil at West Brom, yes. one of the best performances of the season, and the rest of the week because of Red Rizani's decision has been dominated by lurid headlines about how they provoked this attack on Karen Carney and I just think it's just it should be above all that really come on exactly it, it, listen these are official club accounts you know this is in some sort of banter site you know just you know I, 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 and, and Jeremy's absolutely spot on we should we should have been talking about I don't know Rafinha's brilliant goal Alioski's you know wonderful strike um, we should have been talking about how the, how, how they just Attacking wave after wave. Instead, we're talking about this. When they put that out, the, 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 you cannot say to me they didn't realise the implications of what they were yeah. putting out there when they put out that tweet and, and, and the ramifications. And sure enough, it happened. It, you know, it, it's they they just have to show a bit more responsibility. Mm, yeah, no, it, 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 I must say it is an interesting one. I, I don't know whether Carrie, oh, she's subsequently been invited to. <laughs> To Thor Park training ground to do something before the cup game, isn't it? Yeah, to do something yeah. before the yeah. cup game, yeah. and, and 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 you know, it'd be interesting to see whether she takes it, takes them up on that. But it's not. I actually think when, when we talk about pundits of the year and 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 yeah, so on, she, I think she's right up there. By yeah. the way, so it's kind of, you know, yeah. I just think it, it's, hey, well, it's rather. Well, a bit well, what I would say, what I would say very quickly is, I'm sure if she 
you, you know, we, we've all done, you know, work on, on, on television and stuff. Mm. And you do know that if you're speaking for that long, sometimes things don't come out quite as, as you probably wanted yep. to. And I'm, I'm sure in this particular instance, if she had it the time over again, you know, the, the exact phraseology wouldn't be the same. You wouldn't say, well, he's got promoted because of COVID. You know, and when that clearly, you know, is open to, no, um, I could, to willful misinterpretation. I could see the point that she was making. Yes, I, I know, I know. But, but the, the phraseology, you know, if you play that clip in isolation, like, yeah. like unfortunately Leeds United's official Twitter account decided to do, you know, it doesn't sound, you know, no, clearly, clearly Leeds were the best team in the championship last season by some distance. You know, so so basically they got promoted. The reason Leeds got promoted to the Premier League is because they were the best team in the championship. And that really is the bottom line. So what I'm saying is she probably would, on reflection, think, well, you know, I maybe should have couched it differently in, in, and say, well, actually, the break came maybe at a perverse at a good time for them, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, but there's still no excuse for for what, what Leeds then um, did. Leeds are perfectly entitled to disagree with her opinion. Yeah. Just disagree with it in a better way, a classier yes. way than that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I take that point on board. Listen, I, I just think that, you know, for what it's worth, I think that Karen Carney, I'd far rather listen to Karen Carney yeah. uh, giving a view rather than the tired old blooming yeah. former, you know, former player, one from each club, you know, sat in a studio, really not saying anything at all, not really doing too much research. And I just think, you know, oh. she, she's in direct contrast in that. And I just think the fact that the basic we're still talking about a couple of days later is is actually, you know, if oh. it weren't for this, then I think it would have, you know, it would have been a really good debate. And you say, well, it's given us something to talk about. And I'd far rather have something to talk about because there's an opinion there, which we're crying out for, which is a great, you know, which is oh. a good thing. Anyway, listen, I'm going to move on to highlights of the year. And and I'm going to go round the virtual room, if I may, really. And I'm going to ask, you know, perhaps uh, for the best moment. Can I ask for the best moment of the year first, Andy? I think probably on, on balance. You know, I, we spoke about it before. I think when when Marine drew spares out the half of the for next next weekend's FA Cup game was was, was just a, a magical moment, magical them getting through. I think though, on reflection, maybe. You know, Jordan Henderson lifting the Premier League trophy for all what it meant. You, you know, I, I, I never thought, I thought the season would be, well, basically to start with, I, I thought it might even be null and void. I thought even when they restarted, people would be going through the motions. But to see what it meant to to Liverpool and to see what, it, you know, it, it, ending that, um, that, that time without a, a title. And basically, we've all dealt with him for a long time and to see what it meant to, the captain of Liverpool, he really is one of the guys who, who one of the good guys of football. And I think, you know, to, to see him doing that, having, having lifted the Champions League trophy as well um, previously, I just think that was probably, yeah, probably my moment of the season. Yeah, Jeremy? Yeah, I, I'll go along with Dunny there. I mean, look, he, he, it's, it's staggering to think that they went 30 years, isn't it, without winning mm. the title. It's just an incredible... Not achievement, but you know, when you, when you put it in perspective, they've won European Cups, you know, to 30, 30 years is a lifetime for some people. So, yeah, it was just a, such a shame that the, the, the place wasn't full because it would have been some occasion that. But yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think that, and also just on a different sort of tone, but 
Um, Wickham winning promotion to the championship and Akin Fenwick's yeah. reaction and what it meant to him. He got that text, that WhatsApp message from Clark. That was really, that was quite brilliant. Yeah, that is great. great. In a, in a desperately sad year. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, Matt? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go same as the other guys, but different. I was at Stamford Bridge when Liverpool won the title. Mm. And, uh, you yeah, know, it was weird in a topsy turvy season where everything, nothing's happened quite as it should. Um, I was lucky enough to have a chat with Steve McManaman afterwards. Um, who was down there. It seemed an incredible number of former Liverpool um, professionals there on uh, media duty that night, I have to say. But um, don't but, worry, they're there for every game. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, uh, but yeah, but uh, but to see on the face of someone like that who, for all his illustrious career, couldn't do that. Um, you mm. know, for all everything he did at Real Madrid. Um, you know, couldn't do that for the, the club where he made his name. Uh, it was just a remarkable night and to realise that, that that wait was over. It, it just it felt like it was a big sigh of relief somewhere in, in football because it is wrong that a club like that should have been that long without a title. And it just seemed like the world was, you know, well, at the time it seemed like the world was getting back into shape. We were playing football again. We were on top of the disease and everything else. It didn't quite fan out that way, but uh, but no, it was certainly a, a moment in a, a very otherwise quite forgettable season for for so many reasons. Yeah, we're going to limit this to 2020. Best signing, worst signing, Andy. Uh, best signing. I, listen, I, I stand to be corrected, but I'm pretty sure it was in the January transfer window of last um, Bruno Fernandez for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's to me that that's that, that's unarguable to a certain extent, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any, any, any player being more crucial to his team's upsurge in fortunes and Bruno Fernandes. And um, for if we're signing, I'm, I'll, I'll stick with Manchester United as much as I, 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 I like the player. I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if, if, if Van der Beek might be, might be as, as, as ill-advised a signing as, as, as you could possibly imagine for 40 million quid. I mean, it's clear Solskjaer doesn't particularly fancy him. I don't see how he's going to get a, a, a starring role in the team. So I'll, I'll stick with United. I'll go Fernandez and Van der Beek. Jeremy? Yeah, Fernandez, the best signing by Country Mile. 26 goals of this year for United. He's totally, totally turned that team around. Uh, so, yeah, and worst signing. 25 in penalties. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, a guy I had. And. Um, we're signing also, yeah, I think Van der Beek will come good, actually. I think Oscar okay. will be true to his word and give him some more game time. And if he does that, he'll see what a good player he is. Mm. Um, nice so, like Willian, Arsenal, free transfer. He's staying a lot when he, he cost, didn't cost him a transfer fee and Arsenal looked like they'd been ripped off. <laughs> he has been a shambles, an utter shambles. He yeah. contributes nothing. And he's what earning what 200, 200 grand a week? Oh, I think you're being a bit harsh, Jeremy. I think he did play for 45 minutes of the opening game of the season at Fulham. Yeah, yeah. I, think, yeah. I think it's shameful, really. I really do. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more with you on the worst signing. Dreadful, um, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I go with Willian on the worst signing, uh, and so as not just to be a copycat and go Bruno Fernandes as well. I think the best signing's got to be whoever put pen to paper. At the All England Club on the bottom of their pandemic insurance. That is left field, and that is why we yes. love you, Matt. Yes. Very, very good. Um, love just tennis. <laughs> Number one for tennis, yeah. New Year's resolution, boys. Now, you can be for yourself, it can be for football, it can be for anything, but I want, yeah, yeah New Year's resolution for 2021. Andy. 
I mean, my mind, a, a, a general one for football it is basically for managers such as, in particular, the big name celebrated managers such as Klopp and Guardiola, just to stop having to go at referees. I mean, you know, stop. I mean, when Pep was having to go at the fourth official for holding up, I don't know where minutes of time it was the other day, the other week, ridiculous. Klopp sarcastically applauding a fourth official or a, or an assistant referee. I can't remember which one. Just stop it, you know. I mean, I just do think that I would hope that because I, I do think normally this time of year I say, you know, I, I want diving to stop, and you know, I'm not saying stop, but I think it has been it has been limited by VAR. I, I just like dissent against referees. Listen, we want referees refereeing grassroots football when, when it comes back, and we need managers to show to give an example of not abusing um, officials. Yeah, Jeremy. <laughs> I'd quite like the game just to be more less selfish. You know, I think we've learned this year in the height of the pandemic, you know, where people were falling out in lumps and you just thought, God, there's this myth, this myth about it's one big family, footballing family. It's absolute nonsense. So I'd like the game to learn from this year and help itself out more really next year because they're probably going to have to, you know, and look out for each other better. Yeah, good. good help point. each other. Yeah, Matt? Yeah, um... I would like once and for all, so we're not talking about this throughout the whole of 2021 as well. I just want football to promise itself that it's going to get a grip of how it uses VAR. VAR. <laughs> <laughs> we nearly made the final show without a mention of VAR. <laughs> That's why I want it gone. I want it when they bang out VAR or whatever, we're stuck with it, unfortunately. But let's make it work and let's do it quickly because another year of talking about VAR would just about do yeah. it. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, I, so, so I'm going to, I was going to say, and of course, we all want England to win the Euros and we all want to see Meza playing again. Go on, John. Oh, yeah, wouldn't, it be, <laughs> wouldn't it be a dream? I don't think you'll be at Arsenal, Andy. I have to <laughs> I'm going to chuck mine one in just for the two penalties. It's a little bit of an irrelevance, really, in the grand scheme of things. I'll tell you what, in the, it's made even more ridiculous in behind closed doors games, in behind closed doors stadiums. When a player scores, mm. honestly, the vast majority still, I think, do it. They go and celebrate, and they celebrate by whole, by putting a finger to their mouth, over their mouth, as if to shush the crowd. <laughs> Guys, there's no crowd there. I absolutely hate it anyway, because why on earth are you trying to shut someone up? Just go and celebrate the pure joy of scoring a goal. It's one of my absolute pet hates, which is made even more absolutely ridiculous in the current climate because there is no crowd there to shush. Honestly, go and celebrate a wonderful moment of scoring a goal because football should bring us joy. And honestly, it sounds a bit cliche and a bit hackneyed now, but basically it has hopefully brought us all joy, isn't it, in 2020, mm. in this weird year, and hopefully continue to do so in 2021. So, so guys, on that note, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wrap up there and say thanks so much for, for joining us. Honestly, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. We've had some good laughs and some good fun uh, doing, doing this new show um, in, in the past year. And I hope we'll continue to do so in 2021 with always lots to talk about. And honestly, thanks so much for everyone to to, to tune in and, and, and watch and wish you all a very, very happy new year and a very successful and healthy and first and foremost safe one as well for 2021. So guys, thanks so much indeed for, for joining us. Andy, thank you. Jeremy, Matt, really appreciate it. Nice to see you all and thanks so much for watching. We'll be back, same place, same time, different year next week. Thanks again for joining. <laughs>